Right, so we spoke how the Kuzari tells the Muslim that he doesn't necessarily see his proof of how the book of the Quran is supposed to support his claim that it's the divine, it's the word of God, it's divinely inspired, and that proves his religion or his, his, his form of religion to be correct. That was basically the response. So now the Muslim responds back to the Kuzari, page, for those who are, want the page, page 63, 7. So the wise Muslim responded, Our prophets did not perform great miracles. However, knowing the story of these miracles was never deemed necessary for acceptance of our religion. So we left off at this point last time about the miracles. About the miracles right? So it's very apropos because uh, Hanukkah is about Nisecha, Niflesecha, all about the miracles. And what is a miracle? A miracle is sort of a change in nature. There's two types of miracles, generally explained the Hasidus. There's a miracle that transcends nature, that sort of breaks the rules of nature, and then there's a miracle which actually is sort of compliant with the laws of nature and is not necessarily viewed as a miracle. That's why actually we say in the bracha, um, You've performed miracles for our fathers by Yomim Ahayim in those days, at this time of the year. What does it mean, nisim? So the Rebbe Rashab asks the question, how do you define, miracles represent something which is from the world of the infinite, right? Creation, nature comes from the world of finite. God created the world, he used the infinite power to create, but then that, finite, then that infinite power was, was, I don't know how to say it properly, there was a certain condensing of that, the tzimtzum affected that now you don't see the full infinity of it, you only see a finite element of it. In the finite level you have nature, nature is all about limitation, it's all about um, um, things broken down into time and space, that's, that's the whole idea of nature, nature is all about time and space limitation. So the idea of a miracle where you break those rules is dealing with something which is above nature, that's something that's transcendent, something above time and space, which is the realm of the infinite. Now, if you're dealing with an infinite, infinite doesn't have numbers, doesn't have multiplicity, right? It's, it's, it's a contradiction to say that an infinite is many. If it's infinite, there's no parts, there's no many of something. It's all the same, right? You can't say there's many if something is infinite. Where's the beginning, where's the end to say this is one, this is two, right? Unlike what they define in mathematics, infinity of numbers. It's not true infinity, right? Where you say, let's say mathematics, you could, you could it's have. Potential. Well, perhaps the idea though of numbers is infinite in in only in the sense that it keeps on going, but it itself is distinct. It has a one, a two. It has a number, right? So that's a relative infinity. But it's not what we mean by by infinity here. So having infinitely many distinct items is not an infinity. That's not that that that's that's not that's not the truth of infinity. That's that's when we want to use an example of something that it transcends our our viewpoint or our 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 frame of reference, where we could see, let's say, we see ten numbers. So we see ten numbers. That's a finite set of numbers, one through ten. Those numbers could repeat though itself many, 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 many times. So is that infinite? That's not really infinite. It's infinite in relation to what we perceive. We see perceive ten numbers. 1 through 10, those 10 numbers just keep on circulating infinite amount of times. What do you, what do you mean by infinite? infinite where there is no distinctions between anything. Because even the idea of numbers is already distinct, is a digit, it's something that limits something to a 1, to a 2, to a 3. Do you define infinity as 
something that goes on forever, I guess, um, without any distinctions. And sure, under your definition, it doesn't go. Have no, it doesn't go on forever without any distinction. It doesn't go on forever. It doesn't have. It doesn't have. Ain't soft means it has no end. If it has no end, then there's a question: Does it have to have a beginning? That's a discussion, Chassidus. But the idea of ain't soft, something that has no end, means that there's no parts, right? Because if it has parts, then it's not. In, then it has an end, right? Very basic. If it has parts, that means it has an end. So if you say something is a one, that's a part. You see it as distinct. That's already no more. Has no end. It has an end. That's the point. So, so true infinity has no end. So for an actual individual to be infinite, he can't have any parts. Either he can't have any parts. He can't have right. There can't be any. There can't be an end. Whether it's a relative, an absolute end, it can't be a part, right? There's no, so you can't have many in infinite. So why do we say nisim if miracles, by definition, means transcending into the realm of infinite, of infinity? How could you say many on that level? That's the question the Rebbe Rashab asks, and the basic idea that's answered is is that it's in the clash between the infinite world to the finite world, so to speak, the infinity, the infinite energy with the finite energy, and that mergence of the two, because a miracle has to be brought from the infinite to the finite, could, it can manifest in many different forms. That means that, that crash, so to speak, that big bang, right, that creates from the finite to the fin- infinite, I'm sorry, from the infinite to the finite, to be manifest in different ways. So that's the idea of a miracle. But again, the point of a, that's why we say she'osa nisim, there's miracles that more match or are, are more in line within the rules of nature. And then there's miracles which completely break the laws of nature. So those are the different types of miracles because, again, you're dealing with an infinite which is not limited to one way or the other. But in its manifestation, the way it manifests in, the, in, the, in, in reality, in, in the laws of nature, it takes on different colors, so to speak. It takes on different, right? It doesn't always react the same way. It doesn't have the same reaction, basically. But either way, the concept of a miracle represents a certain change of nature, right? Now the question is, what's the motivation behind the miracle? What does a miracle provide for us? Does a miracle provide for us clarity on something? What does a miracle provide? So, many have believed that a miracle provides a certain proof of the divine. That proves that there's a God, that there's a controller of nature, there's someone who could break nature, someone who... Who, who, who could manipulate nature because he's in control of nature, right? That's sort of been the proof. And on some level, that's true. We find that even in the Torah. We find that when God sends Moshe to Parai, what does he tell Moshe Rabbeinu? How, does he, how are you going to convince Parai that Ani Hashem, right? Parai tells Moshe, I don't know if you're Hashem. I know of Elikim, I don't know of Havaya. And Chassidus explains what's the difference between Elikim and Havaya. Not just Chassidus. Traditional Judaism, what's the differentiation between? He says, I know Elikim, I don't know Havai, because Elikim represents the power of nature. He says, I relate to God as someone within nature. I don't relate to God as being someone that's transcendent of nature. And you want me to accept something that is beyond nature. So, what did God do? God gave Moshe a number of miracles, right? It's like having the tricks in your, in your pocket that you could throw out to, so to speak, support your claim. I have something that will prove to you that I'm real, I'm legit. And those miracles were supposed to convince Pari. Eventually, the miracles were first used to convince the Jews, because even the Jews didn't fully accept and believe this idea. So you see miracles are used, even in the Torah, as a form of convincing that there is a force, or there is an energy that's transcendent, that is infinite, that is beyond what the laws of nature is. That is the idea of a miracle. 
So what it can prove is that there is a creator, that there is an energy. Why do we celebrate Pesach, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, throughout the whole year? Everything, a lot of mitzvahs are always Zeichel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Because really, the whole idea of why religion could even emerge is because we believe that there's an infinite creator. There's a, a creator who transcends infinity and finite, and fi- and, and, or transcends in, finite, what? Finitude, finitude, right? Transcends even, okay, we'll, we'll both levels. And because there's such an energy, because there's such a force, that sort of now makes us feel like there's some force and power that we should be connected to, right? And that's why we say always in Kiddush, right? Zeichel Itzias Mitzrayim, or Zeichel Amaisiberatius. There are two sides of the same coin, right? The power of creation shows on the power of transcendence, the ability. So there is definitely in Judaism, and perhaps not just as religious and religion, but in general, this concept of using a miracle that brings out that there's a power, that there's an energy that is above. But does, does the miracle provide proof of relig- for religion? Right? Does a miracle provide proof for religion? And that's the major distinction between Christianity on the one hand and Islam and Judaism on the other. In the Christian world, as we saw, they rely on miracles as being almost the proof that this is true. Why? Because Jesus was born out of a woman that had never been impregnated by a man. He died and was resurrected. The idea of a miracle has provided all of a sudden that there must be some religious um, observance that has to come forth as a result of this. And therefore, whatever the vision is of God or of Jesus, that is the testament and the testimony of what we have to follow. X, Y, and Z based on the miracle that took place. So you're convincing other people because you believe there was a miracle. Now there's a number of problems. Number one, the other people never saw the miracle. They have to believe you that the miracle took place. So if you're going to use a miracle to prove religion, and for that matter to prove God, but we'll leave that out of the equation for now. But if you're going to use a miracle to prove religion, you're basically saying that I have to believe you that there was a miracle. I never saw the miracle. So what are you proving to me? Right? That's the first problem. But the second problem is, is that the miracle in itself doesn't prove that God wants or God is saying this is, this is the way you should serve me, right? The miracle could prove, as we said, a certain power, a certain energy in the world. But why does that provide proof to religion? To the fact that there should be some form of religious commitment or some do's and don'ts some form of behavior. Why? What's the proof just because it was a miracle that took place? So fine, there's a force, there's an energy that is greater than the laws of nature. Fine, there's some transcendent force. But why does that prove that I have certain responsibilities or reasons to connect because of that? Right? So this is just some of the flaws with using a miracle as proving the idea of, of religion. So Christianity uses it all the time. And part of, therefore, the Christian ideology is to sort of convince every follower that they're also experiencing the vision. Meaning you need to now experience Jesus yourself because otherwise it doesn't work. You realize, they realize themselves that if they constantly say, well, this miracle took place, right, then you're not going to catch too many people. But if you say you yourself are experiencing the miracle, you also saw the vision of Jesus, right? So then it's personal. I saw it also. In Judaism, we don't go around saying, we had Kriyos Yamsuf. We don't go around saying, we had Martin Torah. That's not our proof. We don't say that we experienced something miraculous, right? 
that may prove again that there's a yad chazaka, that there's a great hand, that there's a great energy, that there's a there's a there's a supernatural energy uh, transcend whatever words you want to use, but it doesn't prove religion to us. Christianity it does. We're not looking for visions; they are. So in this respect, Islam and Judaism are very much on the same page. The miracle doesn't provide any source or any form of proof to the idea of religion. It may provide to an energy source, not to a form of religion. So what the Muslim is telling basically the Kuzari, the Kuzari is responding that he doesn't believe this because he doesn't see the miracle in the Quran. He doesn't see how the Quran is miraculous, how every word of it is divine and how all, all of it comes from you know, the word of God and therefore have to follow this religion because he doesn't see the miraculous nature in it. And what he's responding, the Muslim says, we never followed it because it was miraculous. That's not why we believe in it. In other words, the fact that it has a miraculous nature is for itself. But the reason why we think Islam is true has in it much more of a, a logical, intuitive process than just the miraculous element in it. So here you see again a certain switch in the Khuzari's perspective to now what the Muslim is taking the Khuzari to look at. Kuzari was always looking at as miracles as being sort of like the dominant force. And that is very, I wouldn't say it's intuitive, it's natural. There's a certain natural element that, you know, will become religious because we saw a miracle. Why? What's the connection between the miracle and the religious commitment? So fine, there's a, there's a, there's a higher power, there's a greater source, a, a greater energy. But why does that provide my responsibility to, to, to have a relationship with this energy or God? But for some reason we feel that if we would experience a miracle, and it does, it does provide that for certain people, the miracle does take them in those places. It makes them now become more religious, it makes them more committed. But if you think about it on a logical level, it doesn't, shouldn't. So you're going to say that the miracle has within it also a deeper experience, an intuitive experience that comes with it. So it's not just the miracle for itself, but it's sort of like, where the miracle came from, and, and it sort of brings with it a certain intuition to something deeper. Other other name, perhaps, or not, that doesn't have to be. But maybe that's the argument by some people, that they had the out-of-body experience through the miracle, and therefore they were able to perceive something from a deeper level. But purely from a miraculous point of view, all that a miracle provides is that there is a force, a higher energy, that's all it does. So again, from the Christian's perspective, that becomes the be-all and end-all in the religion. And even the, the Kuzari seems to be using that initially as his argument. That has to be... I think, I think there's a matter of finding the best explanation. Like, if you see the rabbi doing a miracle, you can prove that that miracle happened. It's most likely that, that Judaism is correct. No, so I said, okay, so, yeah, what I mean by the intuition is, like, you start thinking, who's the one that provided the miracle? Who's the one who's doing it? It's the rabbi. What does the rabbi stand for? He stands for... Religion. So that's what you as. Yeah, not necessarily limited to it, but it could be part of it. In other words, you sort of like build connections to the beyond the miracle itself, and say the Rebbe, the like people say, why do I think that I my thought process or my questions about religion is more justifiable, and therefore I should drop it? The Rebbe also probably had these questions, and he deals with the questions, and he didn't drop it, so he probably has an answer. It probably makes sense to him. So if it makes sense to him, I think he's smarter than me, and therefore I'll accept that, that it's true, true, right? Or perhaps there's even a story of the Tanakh Tzedek where there was this chassid, or I don't know if he was a chassid, whatever. There was an individual that um, there was this individual who uh, who was un, unsure of whether there's a god, right? 
So he comes to the Tzemach Tzedek and he wants proof that there's a God. So the Tzemach Tzedek asks him, um, tell me, do you know that there is a Tsar? He's living in, in Tsarist Russia. Do you know if there is a Tsar? He says, sure, I know there's a Tsar. Now you have to realize in those days, it wasn't like today where there's television and there's, you know, the abilities to know of the president is, you know, in those days, to know there was a Tsar was just a knowledge. You never saw the Tsar. <laughs> You never even came close to a czar. You lived in some derful, some run-down little hut that you know had nothing besides just your cows. You to know about a czar had no no connection to you, besides that he took your taxes, you know. But um, as he says, how do you know there's a czar? He says, what do you mean? I have a brother who's a big big businessman who travels the country, and he goes to Petersburg, and in Petersburg he does business with the high officials, and they told him that there's a czar. So someone says, you mean you're telling me that you believe there's a czar because you have a brother who does business, who goes to Petersburg, who has people he is connected with, and they're telling him, and therefore you believe that there's a czar? One second. So he says, yeah. So what did Samach Sadiq say? He says, I know there's a God. I saw God. Believe me, there's a God. So on that level, on that level, yeah. So some people could say that I can't know something for sure. Let's say, for example, I don't know there's atoms. I don't know for sure there's atoms. I never saw an atom per se. I mean, technically, this is all atoms. I never saw the atom in, 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 in its functional, independent state. I see its its application. I don't see its, you know, its essence. It's Yedizam, it's it's not Masag, I don't know there's atoms. Because I believe that there were scientists that saw it and they made a whole explanation based on it and all that. It doesn't intrude on me, so I don't have to like... Yeah, yeah, I'm just using... Correct. I'm just using this as an example to this point where you could... you could extra, extrapolate from a certain experience into something more than that by relying on people and saying that if they believe it, that must make it true as well, right? But I'm saying purely from the miraculous nature, from the point of the miracle, doesn't necessarily provide much. So in Judaism, as I said, and, and here Islam is, the, the Muslims have the same idea, what we really use is, is intuitive and, rash, and a rational approach. The miracle is a sign, in fact, Whoever says, the Raman Paskins this way, whoever says that they believe religious commitment because of a miracle, um, to some extent is a denier of Moshe. Because Moshe didn't come to provide miracles in that sense. In fact, the Raman, the Pasuk in the Torah says that eventually there's going to come a person who's going to perform miracles for you and want you to believe based on that, and he's a false, he's a for, God is going to give him the ability to make miracles just to test you. So you see already, the Torah already alludes to this idea of a miracle being a power that people could have, but doesn't prove necessarily the truth of what they claim, right? So that is an idea in Torah. So the fact is, is that Judaism doesn't work on that level. We work with Yishal Chabincha, the idea of rational explanation, as we have on by the Haggadah, the Chacham, his complaints, right? We read the four sons by 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 Pesach, by the Seder. The Chacham has discussion about the religious commitment. The Russia has his perspective, right? Each one of them are challenging on some level. Where does this religious commitment come from? And a lot of what the Haggadah's answer is this experience. And the experience leads to a hard Sinai, which, as we mentioned in the past, was more of an intuitive knowledge where you saw God actually communicate his message to Moshe. So it wasn't just a miracle. They experienced something on a very real level, whether it was an intuition or a real experience, whatever it is. The fact is, is that we see it from much more grounded perspective and something more real than just a miracle that took place. Islam, on some level, obviously feels the same uh, 
uh, same way, and therefore what he's using here is to challenge the, the Muslim by, by, I'm sorry, the Muslim is challenging the Kuzari, you have to, you have to remove your expectations of what to prove something from miraculous proof to rational proof, or uh, something that's a little bit more online of, I guess what the Muslim will say, which is sort of like a combination of, you know, their, uh, their experience and their rational understanding. Um, the, 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 the response of the Kuzari is going to be that um, he's going to get into a little bit more um, this point, whether or not God would ever communicate with man without a miracle. In other words, is it inherent for there to be a miracle in God's communication to man? So although the miracle doesn't provide the proof for communication, but is there possible for there to be a communication without a miraculous, a miraculous or supernatural experience that goes with it? See, in Harsinai, we believed it was. There was a communication, but there was also the whole world stopped, right? So we do believe there was certain a supernatural, miraculous experience that came with it. But that's going to be the challenge back that the Kuzarvi is going to say to the, to, the, to, the, to the Muslim. He says, fine, you separate between the miracle and the philosophy. But you're saying God communicated. How could there be a God communication without any supernatural experience that goes with it? And where is that in your belief, in your system? So here again, you see already a fleshing out of a process of forms of how do you nurture a certain belief system based on what levels of proof perhaps you want to use in that regard. So I guess we... Uh... Saying it can't be miracles. What? Saying it can't be miracles, basically. What right. Miracles itself is not the answer. Yeah. Yeah. 